Why is private tuition so expensive? You look at anyone's budgeting worksheets, tuition is the most costly factor in there. We sat down with Ravheshi Glass, the perfect person to sit down and talk with. We're going to have multiple episodes on tuition. It comes up from readers, from people we pass in the street. They say they want a tuition episode. So this is going to be the first one of many. We've covered quite a few things in this episode. How much can a family afford when it comes to tuition? What percentage of their finances should be allocated towards tuition? Why is there such a vast difference between neighborhoods, right? If you live in Lakewood versus the five towns, why is tuition so less expensive in Lakewood versus the five towns? You go to Muncie, it's a completely different price. What's up with that? We hope to answer that and other questions in this episode brought to you by Living Lachaim. Enjoy the episode. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Another episode of Kosher Money. Today we're going to delve into the topic of tuition. Of a glass. What is that? What is that word that when people hear tuition, what do, what do they think? I was a principal of uh, Yeshiva Day Schools for about thirty-four years, and uh, tuition is complicated. It's not a it's not a simple word. It's not sure. just a number they throw at a dart it's one year. It's not just a number. No. no. Today, tuition. Um, I read some of the statistics. Uh, seems to be on everybody's mind. Yeah, they like, say, according to a Nishma study, ninety-seven percent of people right. think the cost of Jewish education is the number one challenge to living as an Orthodox Jew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on a uh, positive note, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons, I would say people between the ages of 30 and 40 mm-hmm. have chosen to make Aliyah, where tuition is uh, nothing. Wow. There's a, there's a large segment of our population living in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Modiyin, Yerushalayim. What, what's tuition in, in those Tuition areas? there could be... 200 shekels a month, which is $60, $70. How how is it so low? Is the government... The government subsidizes it. Subsidizes. So should we be petitioning our government? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. One of the things which we could discuss is the uh, relationship with the government. Right, right. I know the Orthodox Union is trying very hard with uh, Teach New York and Mm -hmm. uh, in many other states. They've been successful with uh, getting some uh, money for security for uh, STEM programming. Mm-hmm. New York in particular um, gets a lot of services for the private schools, gives a lot of services, uh, busing, nursing, uh, special ed. Many other states don't give any of this. On the other hand, there are many states that today uh, deal with vouchers, they're helping families, uh, Florida, uh, Pennsylvania, I think uh, Ohio so that they're able to subsidize some of the tuition. But as you say, uh, it's a big nut to crack for the average family, which is getting started. Those are the ones that have the young children. They have a lot of expenses, housing, um, insurance, food, mm-hmm. kosher food. And uh, tuition is one more level on that. Um, we could discuss perhaps uh, some strategies. Uh, I think there's also a major difference between uh, communities where it's the norm to go to the yeshiva and in other communities where it's a struggle to find kids. So I'm looking out here at the five towns, Mm -hmm. uh, literally. I know around the corner there's a uh, very large girls' high school, SKA from Halb and the early childhood, Leif Chana. Uh, These are schools that are flourishing. Thank God. Uh, the community is one where there's a built-in value. I go to a Jewish school, and it's just a matter of which one. But even within these communities, there's a struggle for many parents. Um, can I afford it? And uh, the schools are charging a fairly uh, high price. Uh, why is that? So, so why is private Jewish schools... That expensive. So I, I did a little bit of homework. Okay, okay. good. We like homework. I worked, did a little bit of homework. And uh, in the year 2021, 
on a, uh, in New York, the average cost of a private elementary school, not Jewish, was $19,000. The average cost of a private high school was $25,000. Uh, nationally, it goes down a little bit. New York is a just more expensive state. So nationally, it's about 11,500 elementary and high school is a little over $15,000. The major cost in a school is salaries. The numbers fluctuate somewhere between 78% and around 82%. So let's say 80% of the cost is going to be salaries. And um, there's almost no government uh, intervention right. for salaries. Uh, the yeshivas have the rebbies, the moras, and um, it costs money. The schools in a this type of neighborhood, let's say five towns or Bergen County, uh, they offer a lot of uh, programming for the students. There's gym and art and music and technology. Um, all these things you know, keep adding on. And then you need uh, special ed services. And uh, you wind up with more than one principal usually. There's, uh, so if you were to many. strip away some... Um if you were to strip away some of those services, right, right, would the average cost of tuition per student come down? It would probably come down somewhat, right. right. So there, so there are there are students paying for other students to potentially use those services because it's baked into the yeah right. Well, I think in every classroom you're going to find a certain percentage are paying full tuition, and then there's a depending on the school, a smaller percentage or even a larger percentage that can't afford the large tuition. And I think as a community, um, the question becomes, should the people that are able to afford it, plus, mm -hmm. uh, subsidize the other families? Um, that's a value that the community has to uh, come to grips with. Where else would the money come from then, right? So you know, there are other sources of, uh, of funding, potentially, okay? Different models have been floated over the years. Who is responsible for the education of a child, okay? And you can ask, by extension, how does a school determine the cost of education? So in the old days, it wasn't an individual family that was responsible. It was the community that was responsible. Uh, you want to have a mikvah, you want to have an Erev, you want to have a kashrus. Um, everybody contributes. Mm -hmm. Is it possible in a Jewish community that the, um, the budget should be uh, paid for by the overall community? I, my child's not in that school, but you're getting a value that you're part of making sure the next generation is well-educated as Jewish uh, people. That's a value. Um, if uh, for some reason a school can't afford to do it, so what happens in all the communities? And I, I think it's a problem. The schools wind up spending a lot of resources doing fundraising anyway. I remember many, many years ago I was running a school in uh, Beverly Hills, California. Hillel, Harkham Hillel Hebrew Academy. This is in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And I went to visit the local public school, Beverly Hills Public Schools, which are the most gorgeous public schools anywhere in the country. Okay. And I'm walking around, I'm the guest of the uh, principal of this school, and he shows me the gym and the labs and all the activities that they have. And we're about to leave, I say, you know, you're missing something here. He says, what could we be missing? We have everything that's possible for this city of Beverly Hills to give the children, I said, there's no business office in this school. He says, we're here to educate the kids. The business is done by a centralized office. That's not my job. Mm. And I think somewhere we have to look at that model that many of our schools are spending an enormous amount of time, resources, and effort to raise money to pay for a budget. So we're really asking the community to help out in any event, 
just we're doing it in a way which is uh, complicated, as opposed to just if we somehow banded together and said education is a responsibility of the community, maybe we can make it work. When you, when you look at what a school charges and the cost of educating a child, you can take the school's total budget, you divide it by the amount of children attending the school. So the question here is, is it fear to charge more than it costs to educate a child, right? If you have those that make more money, they're essentially paying for the tuition costs of those that can't afford to pay. A, is that clearly spoken out when they're receiving their bill? And B, is it fair? Mm-hmm. So it's a complicated question. Oh, these are all... Com- the, no, yeah. no, but, but the, 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 you know, I, I thought about this. Uh, let's say an average classroom can hold, according to the Rambam, 25 kids, but let's say in this community, 20 kids. Or some of the uh, yeshivas, we'll have only two parallel classes, not three. Okay. If there's 18 kids in that class, so by taking in two more kids, we haven't increased anybody's budget. Okay? We're just absorbing them in. Um, someone has to say that those two kids have the same uh, ability to get a yeshiva education as the other 18 kids. Sure. It's not the responsibility of the other 18 parents to pay for those two. It is the responsibility of the community. So I don't know if it makes sense to factor into everyone else's tuition more money than what it costs to run the yeshiva to pay for those two. But the yeshiva has to know if I'm taking in students, um, I could afford to pay the teacher's salaries, I could afford the insurance. It doesn't necessarily have to be that the cost of tuition, the cost of education uh, is going up. I, I, uh, you, know, you could take a look at the total cost of what it's to, to run the yeshiva, mm-hmm. and it's very possible that built in somewhere, um, there might be some excess as well. Uh, one of the local yeshivas uh, once had a um, someone come through and analyze this particular question. And there were many, many part-time teachers in the school. This one was coming for a period. This one was coming for two classes. This rabbi was working here, and this mora was working here. And, and, uh, and in his report, he says, you know, if, if you, you could get away with a lot less people, just hire full-time instructors. And, uh, you know, the school had to really pay attention to that. Maybe we're not doing this the right way. Um, one of the lessons I keep talking about, uh, you know, we had pre-COVID and post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So pre-COVID, everybody was running the schools a certain way. We learned some lessons with COVID, I think. Some were good. Some weren't so good. There were some schools that lost children as a result. Uh, Manhattan they went schools. To other, they went to other schools. They left, like they left the community. Perhaps uh, Manhattan, the schools, they lost some kids. Mm-hmm. They moved down to Florida. They moved out to the five towns. Uh, they moved to Westchester, and then there were some schools, more out of town, smaller schools, which is what I deal with a lot. At least my organization does, and some of them increased enrollment as a result of COVID, because the teachers were so dedicated that even though they're not going into the school, they made sure that the Zoom worked. They made sure that they reached out to the families. You know, how's everybody doing? Um, My organization ran a think tank for principals during COVID every two weeks. Had 15 principals from around the country, and we just kept checking in. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And then we sent out the, uh, the Zoom meeting to everybody. So there was one principal who uh, didn't really want to do Zooming. He didn't feel hashkafically it was the right thing. You know, everybody has their own approach. But he said in his yeshiva, every Rebbe called every Talmud daily and learned with the Talmud for 15 minutes privately. Mm. He says, I want that 20 years from now when they look back at COVID, it was relationship building. So in some of these smaller towns... A little bit easier when you only have 10, 12 children okay, in the class. But, but yeah. in some of the smaller towns, 
the, the public schools, even in the largest cities, the teachers don't have that dedication. They're, you know, they're gonna do what's required contractually. They'll teach the math class, but they're not gonna get involved on a, on a personal level with the relationship building with the students as the yeshiva should. Um, I believe that post-COVID we learned the power of technology uh, and we should really look at it from a yeshiva perspective of maybe we can save some money and do a better job using the technology. So if there's a great Rebbe in Chicago somewhere mm-hmm. who, uh, who really knows how to introduce sixth grade Gemara, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he should do it on a larger scale than just his classroom and then have the local Rebbe's follow up afterwards. Mm. Um, there's a lot we could learn from this. If we just go back to the way it was, then it wasn't such a good experience, the COVID. We, which, we, we, should, which, we should think about this. We should yeah. really struggle with it a little bit. Maybe there's more that could be done uh, post-COVID. So the current system, would you say, is a little bit broken or in, in need of fixing? The current system... Um, right, assuming that there are so the, there is an excess of money that's, you know, perhaps there, or there are structures where maybe there are too many part-time teachers in that particular example. Um, if and, and, and a lot of the yeshivas and a lot of schools are doing, are running it very well. The question here is, how do we make it more affordable mm-hmm. by possibly making some sort of changes to the current system? Yeah. So I think, as I just mentioned, some of the technology uh, advances... I think we also have to look at that maybe uh, the Orthodox Union has to look at this. Um, how, we, how we run the finances of a school. Uh, we've had many conversations in my office. Uh, is it really necessary for every yeshiva to do its own back office work? Is it possible to have one centralized business office? Is the back office work costly? It costs money. You need a computer. You know, you need an administrator. You need a secretary. All these things uh, start adding up. Mm-hmm. And they don't really impact on a day-to-day the value of the chinuch, which is really what you're going for. Sure. Uh, things like, um, I speak to a lot of schools post-COVID or during COVID, they're all looking to hire uh, an ed tech specialist to help train the staff constantly on how I could use technology better and more. Mm -hmm. So maybe as a community, we should have an ed tech specialist that services all the schools. It's not something that's an individualized skill for any one school. It's something that could be um, given out to everybody. You think the schools would be open to such a a solution? Partnering together and collaborating. I, I, I think on uh, you know the schools should do more collaboration, as long as it doesn't infringe on um, you know the hashkafic differences of perhaps one school versus another school. Some schools are co-ed, some schools are separate. You know, some schools, uh, as I mentioned, the principal you know, he didn't want to use zooming. Right. So that's a whole different uh, area. But if a school's struggling, and I, I know many of the schools, even in the five towns, are struggling to find ed tech specialists, so that might be something to look at to share and hire someone or a group that's experts in this area and then have each school just use it as they need it. I see multiple benefits there. Yeah. One is they're all learning together how, mm-hmm. to, how to do this efficiently, and B, you're potentially bringing the costs down so that the students' families don't have to, right. don't have to you know, right. you know, it, it would be the dream of receiving a, a tuition statement for the following year, and they say, "Good news, you know, it's down. The price is coming down." Yeah, is yeah. that even realistic? You know, inflation aside, but it's possible. I do know there's a community. Last year, when COVID hit, the uh, the principals thought, you know, they they sent out a communal statement that we realize things are complicated but we, we have our expenses at the school. So for the duration of the year, 
you know, we're asking every parent to continue their tuition payments, mm-hmm. even though school stopped as they knew it. Right. There's no food. That's There's no food, security, right. uh, overhead, uh, you know, different. Okay. There might be more training of the staff as right, far as right. the uh, technology piece. There was a tremendous uh, backlash from about 500 parents in the community. We lost our jobs. We can't have two parents working because we're home with the kids. Mm-hmm. Right? And they felt there was a lack of sensitivity from the, uh, the schools. And uh, some of the negative PR uh, was not healthy for the yeshivas in this particular community. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the schools have to realize that um, uh, whatever they're spending at the school, they're spending other people's money. This is money that every parent worked for or was raised. And there's a, there should be a responsibility. Am I working within a certain parameter to get the most out of the money that's being given to me to, uh, to run this school? And if it means sharing some resources with other schools, I think it's worth looking at that. And I think if, it's, uh, if it means sharing some educational uh, activities with other schools, it's also worth uh, looking at that. Um, we're looking at large schools here in you know a very vibrant community. Mm-hmm. There are there are many many other communities where schools are struggling to attract children to come to the school, and tuition in those communities is a real dilemma because um, hashkafically, philosophically, the parents are saying, "Why should I spend ten thousand dollars for private education?" Jewish private education. I could stay in the public school. Maybe I'll get a tutor from the, one of the rabbis will tutor my kid at night. And uh, life goes on. Um, in some of the communities I worked in, there was a large segment of the population that was homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And part of it was for financial reasons. Part was also they felt the schools might have been too big and the children weren't getting enough personalized uh, attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I work at the Consortium of Jewish Day Schools. We, we, we've worked now with many small communities uh, across America. Uh, we work with one community in Portland, Oregon, uh, with the Federation, which is another concept to discuss. U.S. Where Should Funding Come From? Right. You know, so in, in a town like Portland, uh, there's a communal fund at the Federation. The consortium manages the fund and works with the three local Jewish day schools to make sure that any Jewish child in Portland that wants to come, mm-hmm. there should be some subsidy at the school. So the, the, the parents there are not paying the schools directly for the... They pay some tuition, mm-hmm. but you know if you have somebody who's in a public school where it's free... Mm-hmm. So you need a marketing strategy, an enrollment strategy. Come to our school. You're going to see dedicated teachers. There's going to be a certain love of your child. We're going to make Yiddishkeit you know, make sense. Okay? And there is a certain value that let's have the child come when he or she is five and learn about Yiddishkeit as opposed to catching them when they're 16 on some summer program or when they're 20 playing catch-up. Right. So in many of these communities, we found that there's a certain minimum tuition that a parent would pay because it's private and it's smaller and there's a dedicated teachers, et cetera, and socially it's nice. So we do some fundraising and we come up with a, uh, a gap. If the parent's willing to spend, let's say, $6,000 for private education, and the school wants ten, So we'll find somebody to donate $2,000, let's say, for that child. Now the school has to make a decision. Is it worth getting $8,000 or $0? And if that child's going to be in that school for 10 years, there's a potential $80,000 to the school. Mm-hmm as opposed to, on the other side, zero dollars. 
So we work with many schools. There's about 15 of them now around the country. This year we've brought 85 kids from public school into the local Jewish day school. Um, and the return on investment is well over $400,000 wow. a year. In, in the larger communities, you don't feel that. But if schools in smaller communities don't increase enrollment mm -hmm. and they keep struggling, they're going to disappear. If there's no Jewish day school in the town, that's it. It's over. Right, right. Nobody's going to move there. And in, in the spirit of full disclosure, we, we did reach out to yeshivas and schools and wanted to have this. It's, it's a multifaceted conversation mm -hmm. slash debate. It's a good one to have. I think dialogue around this topic is important, though there were many people in the school uh, systems that just said, you know what, I'd rather sit this conversation out. Um, and if anyone is listening to this in, in the school system that would like to uh, come on, please reach out, um, livinglachaim.org. Uh, we'd love to have continue this conversation. I don't think this is just one episode, but let's talk about the, the actual numbers in the private school tuition, right? When we think about what percentage of family income, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at the family income, what percentage of that should be expected to be paid in tuition, right? In some communities, when you look at how much they're charging, they say, okay, not more than 10% of their gross income. So if a family's earning $100,000 a year, they're going to say a total of 10000 should be spent on tuition. If you have two kids, then it's 5000 and 5000 As we said before, uh, it's a complicated uh, question. There are communities that keep a more modest tuition, I think because it's larger families, perhaps. We know that in uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, the uh, tuition is lower. Yeah. But, but there's no negotiation. Everybody has to pay. In some of the um, modern Orthodox communities, perhaps, tuition is much higher, much higher. Okay. Yeah, why is that? Uh, you know, you look at Lakewood. I yeah. see the numbers here. It's five to 7,000, and there's no forgiveness. Brooklyn is 9,000 to 11,000. And then you have the out-of-town communities mm -hmm. between 13 and 15,000. And the modern Orthodox schools okay. are twenty five. So, you know, I, I, I ran a modern Orthodox high school in Los Angeles, and we had an AP class in uh, calculus and an AP class in physics. There might have been five students in it. You had to hire the best teacher to teach that AP class. It's just, uh, it was a premium. Um, there's also the whole idea of uh, the extracurriculars in some of the schools, sports activities, uh, art, music, technology, these are all staff items. And, so, uh, so when the tuition bill comes, you have like a checklist. You say, hey, do I want art? Do I want, do I okay. want PE? Yeah. I want this. Yeah. And then, okay, send yeah. us back what you're looking for, yeah. and here's your yeah. tuition bill. So, so the... the um, and I know I'm throwing a bunch of questions No, no, you. no. So the... the the truth is, I think a parent at a school, to be effective, should be aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. Okay? If somebody really wants sports for the child, then there are yeshiva high schools that have great sports programs. Mm -hmm. uh, and if that's not a value, if somebody really wants more base medrash, then that's where they should go. Um, and you should be aligned with what the school is offering. question is, can the school do it without offering some of those activities? So we live in a complicated society, and many of the modern Orthodox uh, schools, um, besides giving over a wonderful Torah education, there is a strong value to get into a good college and go on a career. And you just need those AP classes if you're going to uh, be competitive on a college level. Uh, the school that I ran in Los Angeles uh, a third of the students went to Eretz Yisrael to learn in, you know, in yeshivas post-high school. As we, a third of them went on to the Ivy Leagues. And to compete, to get into an Ivy League college, you need that whole extra, all the extra curriculus. Right. You have to be able to show that you were part of a model UN and you were part of, you know, helping out in the community and you had some sports activities. 
that's just part and parcel of what's going on in the outside world. Uh, but if somebody's, you know, really just going on the yeshiva track, so to speak, um, then perhaps some of the extras are really not that necessary. And that might be why some of the communities you mentioned is a lower uh, tuition. Uh, and what, in yeah. regards to percentage of family income, what would you say is a uh, So that's a, that's a good question. So I've thought about it over the years. Yeah. I go with your lower number. I really go with the 10%. Um, so, 10%, so you could say, you know, whether it's MISA money or not, that's a whole halachic shayla. Right. Okay. Uh, I once heard a shear given by Herschel Shechter. He spoke in Los Angeles in the shul on uh, Shabbos. And he gave a shear on Aniye uh, Ircha Kodem. What does it mean I have a responsibility to my, my community? And he said, if I'm not misquoting him, I hope I'm not, that those institutions that help me personally, doesn't mean my community, but those institutions that helped me, where my children went to school, the shul that gave me a minion every day, uh, the mikvah that I used, my wife used, those are my responsibilities. Okay? And I can't assume that other people are going to pick up the tab in those places. He said, I think, if I'm quoting him right, it was two-thirds of your Misa money should go for Aniye Yercha Kodem. And then another third can go for other things. But we clearly have a responsibility to um, uh, take care of uh, uh, our own institutions. When you say, uh, and, and sorry to interject, but yeah. when you say that some of the tuition money is being allocated because there are other children that, or children's mm-hmm. families that may not be able to afford it, giving MICER mm-hmm. towards your tuition, theoretically, is not benefiting you, but it's actually benefiting people in your community. Right, right. right. So, you know, the, the, the school has to thrive. In other words, for, for my child to be successful in this school, the school needs a great teacher or many teachers, an administrator that knows what he or she is doing, uh, some core values in the school, what makes this school special, and is someone going to really work with my child? So you need... You need a structure to do that. You need students. You need uh, There is a value, perhaps, that if my child is sitting in a classroom where that child can't afford tuition, then I'm learning other values, how to help people. Mm-hmm. That might be a value of the school. Some schools it's not. Many schools it is. Uh, there are schools that uh, uh, I visited Hebrew Academy of Cleveland recently, they have in the school, in classrooms, uh, children with handicap, you know, because they want everybody to really appreciate, this is Kal Yisrael. I have an achrayas to help other children. Um, as far as the 10%, if we're going to ask a lot more than 10%, then all we're doing is convincing people, and this is how we started the conversation, mm-hmm that tuition is too expensive for me. So either I don't belong in this school or I'm going to struggle and maybe cut back on something else in my life, which also might hurt my children. Or maybe I belong in a more modest community where the tuition is just easier. Uh, A very wise man told me a long time ago, You should only live in a place that you can afford a home. Don't live someplace where you can't afford the payments. So the same thing would apply to education. Don't set yourself up for failure by going somewhere where you just can't afford it. Uh, Depending on what kind of car you drive, that's the car you should afford. Mm -hmm. Uh, The yeshiva, on the other hand, should understand that um, assuming everything we're giving the kids is important, We've looked, there's no fat in the school. Right. Everything is important, right? Um, how do I make sure that we're able to afford this? And the same thing applies to the yeshiva. If you can't afford it, there's no rationale at all not to pay a rebbe. There's no rationale to be late on a uh, salary check. Businesses don't run like that. Mm-hmm. Schools shouldn't run like that. And uh, it, it goes against some of the grain I know, 
there are many schools that say, well, the Rebbe's, you know, if we're late a little bit, it's okay. The general studies teachers will take care of, all right? Why? He has a family. He has a contract. General studies person has a contract. It's not a value to be late in anything. Sure. Okay. But somehow we've allowed it to creep into the system. Um, you know, Baruch Hashem, I had a bracha that any school that I was affiliated with always paid everybody on time. But it was clear that we had a finance committee that understood budgeting and was pretty much able to project how much tuition is coming in, how much fundraising, how much outside sources of money, and uh, that's how much we had to allocate. So if you're looking at it like any business, right, every business, there's baked into it some sort of discussion about raises, mm-hmm. um, giving employees, in this case, uh, rebeim, teachers, moras, more money. How do you weigh the two, right? If you want to pay, give, give a rebbe and a teacher a raise versus adding on or raising tuition on already cash-strapped parents, mm-hmm. um, right? If you want to give them a raise, the money has to come from the customer, customer in this case is the, is the parents, parents right. right? Assuming the community, you know, isn't just allocating funds towards this tzedakah, you know, yeah. ha- you know, two forks so in that So it's a, it's a great question, okay? Because as I said before, about 80% of your budget is going to be salaries. Right. So if that goes up a few percent every year without income going up, then you're going to have a problem. Sure. Okay. Um, I think you have to roll back a drop um, on two levels. The level of the faculty member, who that Rebbe might be, and the level of the parent. Okay. The parent should be feeling that there's a certain value I'm getting personally by sending my child to this school. Certain transparency. I'm comfortable I enjoy watching my child grow in this school. It's a great place. In other words, the investment I'm making is a good investment. Unfortunately, a lot of parents are walking around without that thought process. Kids in the school because other people are sending to the school. Mm -hmm. And they really are not always in sync with what the school is trying to accomplish. The kid picks up some negative values. My parents aren't happy with the teacher, whatever the case may be. If there's enough transparency and there's really value built in for the parent, then just like year to year or week to week, price of gas went up last week, cost me an extra five cents Mm -hmm. this week for whatever reason, then I have to understand that the cost of doing business is going to go up from year to year, modestly. Sure. Okay. From the faculty member's perspective, and this I hope I don't get in trouble, but a person chooses a career in Chinuch. They could have gone into a lot of other businesses. They could have been whatever they wanted to be, but they chose Chinuch. And that somehow means a certain lifestyle. So you don't expect that your child's Rebbe is going to have the latest brand new Tesla and pull up to the yeshiva tomorrow. Right, it's somehow that wouldn't fit. I would make for an excellent PTA conversation. <laughs> like, like he's driving the latest Tesla, right? It doesn't it? It just doesn't fit. Maybe, or, his, wife, maybe his wife has a great maybe, job. Okay, all right, possibly. Okay, or he went on vacation to Cancun, right, right for midwinter break. So the life, it should be good. The community should say, doesn't have to struggle, but it's not a life of excess. So I think most people in Jewish education that are choosing it as a career, they understand that at times, hopefully I'll get a raise, and at times the economy just doesn't allow it. Um, we are in a time zone of where less and less people are pursuing this as a career. A lot of it has to do with economics. So um, I tell the story... I read Mishpacha magazine like once a year. I go to my kids for Pesach, and usually Mishpacha... Maybe they should sponsor this week's episode. Okay. Yeah. 
There's a mega edition Pesach. You ever see this? Yeah, like yeah, a thousand sure. pages. Sure. A thousand the amount pages. of trees that get cut down. Uh, so of the of the thousand pages, I'm going to take a rough guess. Maybe 250 are advertisements. I would say even more, but okay. yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's a great magazine. Okay, and it was a three-day yontif. Had a lot to do. At least half of those advertisements dealt with career opportunities. Every single one of those career opportunities were excellent. OT, PT, speech and language, social work, become a uh, nurse practitioner, right? All through very hashkafically from institutions. And you know a lot of the institutions that are doing it. And there's even been some uh, partnerships of institutions to make this work. There wasn't one ad that discussed careers in Chinuch. So subliminally we're saying that why are you becoming a Mora or a Rebbe in a yeshiva? There might be more opportunities within the from world. And we know that um, in this community, I've been asked by a few schools, can you help us find a Rebbe for a particular grade level? Mm-hmm. Um, forget the tech thing, which is a problem. But in smaller communities, there's a real shortage of Rebbeim that want to move out to uh, middle America, even where you can afford a house. People are just not going there. We started an institute called Lomoto Lalame to take um, graduates of the Kololim in different cities and train them to become Rebbe's in those cities because they're already living there. Right. right. And with some training, they could become Rebbe's. But it's, it's almost never these days that someone's going to pick up from I'll use three large communities, you know, the Bergen County, five towns, Lakewood, and move out to a small community and be a Rebbe in a school. How do we fix that? It's it's almost like you have to show that that how much you make isn't as important as how important your job is, right? Because the Rebbeim and teachers, especially during COVID, they were heroic. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, forget changing everything they ever learned in a classroom setting and had to on-the-fly change Mm -hmm. what they were doing, but they're working with precious gems every day, Um, the amount of patience it takes. They're they're literal heroes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe as a community, we have to change how we look at it. And like you said, it's almost like it's not a job. It's, it's, you're forming the next generation and we have to put a spotlight on these heroes. It should be that this is a career for the community. Okay. And it's not, it's not a job. It's not a nine to five, anything. Right. It's, I'm really working with the next the next generation of, uh, of Yiddishkeit in North America. And if we don't get that message across, um, we're going to hurt ourselves. Some of the large Beisiakos in different cities, Toronto, Baltimore, you know, a thousand girls in a school, having a hard time finding moras to go to the classroom because... Many of the girls are becoming OTs and PTs, mm-hmm. and they're making a lot more money. So unless we make it a value in some capacity, right. we're not going to be able to service the schools. And then comes back, comes full circle, tuition will go up because there's going to be a teacher in there. What we do in two communities today, one is in Denver, and the other is in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. We have distance learning. We spoke about COVID, post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two schools that um, teachers from the New York area, New York, New Jersey area, are, because of the time difference, it works out, two-hour time difference or three-hour time difference, they're giving Chumash classes in the afternoon here when it's late morning over there. Because these towns couldn't find teachers to move out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more economical. It is not a lechatchila by any stretch of the imagination. The kids should have a Rebbe or a mower that's assigned to them. But at least we know they're getting quality, sure. right, from very, very well, uh, well-trained teachers from this community. And simultaneously, it's giving a little extra parnasa to the teachers here, and they feel like they're helping Klal Yisrael. Right. Okay. So... When you talk about tuition, right, you come down, you visit, 
a school, they say, okay, what do you do for a living? They, you know, get a sense of, of what you can afford. Sometimes schools will look at your spending habits, right? They'll say, okay, what are your expenses? And they'll make tuition determinations based on that, right? You know, I don't know how deep it goes, right? Do they look at what type of car you drive? Mm -hmm. If you go to Orlando for Pesach, is it reasonable for parents to go through that invasive of a process in order to determine what is the right amount of money to pay to the school? Is there a better way um, maybe to share more positive feelings around the process? And I'm not saying all schools do that, but... You know, yeah. it is discussed. I'm sure there is a certain level of uh, look. You know, I'm sure in that. some schools there might be an embarrassment uh, level. Let's say a week before school, if there's you know three parents in the hallway waiting to meet the executive director, they're trying to negotiate tuition, right? And and uh, they see each other, or the kids see them, or their own child sees them. Okay. There are communities that have addressed this, uh, particularly, um, I think we met Dan Held up in Toronto, okay. a Toronto Federation. They handle all the scholarship applications for all the yeshivas. Okay, so it's done, as I said before, like in a centralized area. And they're not as intrusive. And they're also not the ones who are gonna be educating the child. So there's a step removed you know, so no one's making the decision. Um, I'm choshesh you for taking for doing too much outside in your lifestyle, and I'm going to look at you the whole year. We have this funny relationship, there's sort a third of like party so that, there's a third party that's mm-hmm. totally um, private, mm-hmm. uh, objective. They also they they claim it's very healthy because. Um, Someone has a boy and a girl, third and fifth grade. So you're not dealing with two different schools with the scholarship committee. It's one determination. And then that committee tells both schools what the family can afford. Um, Toronto is unique in that they help the schools make up some of the differential. And that's where we spoke about a communal fund that um, if the tuition is 10000 and they determine... The child, the family could pay six. So Toronto helps out with some of the difference. Mm. I, I love this idea of, you know, and, and you've been discussing in these smaller communities where, A, there's a little bit of, um, there's more communication. It sounds like mm-hmm. there's a lot of communication between the institutions. Mm-hmm. And B, there's this communal giving where yeah. it's not all on one parent or at least there's a so, strategic focus right. on this. Toronto does it very well. You take the example of Portland, which is three schools. None of them are large. The largest one might have 100 students, as far as I know. But there's a communal fund. We help manage it. That's how I'm I'm really familiar. I go out there once a year to speak. to, And the schools decided, we're in this together. The federation said, here's a communal fund. To We have money to allocate to get more children into the Jewish schools. We don't care as a federation if it's the yeshiva school, if it's another kind of school, if it's a third school. We want more Jewish children. That's our value. And uh, it's been working. Every year, 10, 11, 12 new kids are going from the public school into the Jewish schools. It's making the school stronger. And the, the people that give to the fund, when they see the success, it gives them the impetus the fund's been going up every year because it's working. So it's not one school saying, we're gonna fundraise and get more kids in. There's a value in the community that we want more Jewish children in the schools. Beautiful. You pick the school, but we want, you know, we, we want more people in the schools. Beautiful. Um, for, for the listeners, uh, we truly invite you to visit livinglechaim.org, hitting the contact field. And we wanna know what, you know, if you look at the amount of money you're paying on tuition, are we off on our numbers? Are we higher, lower? Um, what percentage of your gross income pre-tax is being allocated towards tuition? Um, you don't have to give your name. We would like to know where you live and just try to get a better feel for what the numbers are. Um, 
so let's talk Meiser. I know there's mm-hmm. halachic um, um, items that would have to be discussed, but when we talk about Meiser and giving towards Meiser, have you seen most communities um, frowning on doing something like that? Is it is it the norm in in most communities? Um, I know it depends on which rav you right, ask. Right, but right, right. That's a, that's an individual halachic uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. halachic determination. Um, you know, I once heard from a rav that you have to differentiate the amount of money that you would spend for, uh, uh, you know, helping yeshiva in general. Mm-hmm which is obviously, as you mentioned, part of your tuition is helping the yeshiva in general, and uh, what my own child is, is gaining. The uh, federal government uh, and New York State, I think, you know, they, they've, they've determined that tuition is not a tax deduction. Um, some communities would argue that if my child is learning third grade math in the yeshiva, or third grade math in the public school, shouldn't make a difference. It should be the same subsidy from the state. And I think as we go down the road, uh, that's an area that I know many uh, people, communal people are looking at. Uh, And that's been very helpful from the Orthodox Union to get the STEM money. Because it shouldn't make a difference if STEM is in the local public school Mm -hmm. or in the yeshiva, or security which has become uh, subsidized by the state. The Yiddishkeit piece, the Torah piece, so that the state has no interest at all. But a lot of the other areas of the school, perhaps that should be looked at and um, seeing what could be done. Because the, 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 everybody's paying taxes. Sure. And uh, in many communities, it's a high tax. Um, it took a long time. I remember my early years uh, at Halb that uh, there used to be a van that would pull up at the school twice a week. Sounds scary. And, you know, <laughs> and service the kids that needed special help. Oh. So they had to leave the yeshiva property, go out to a van on the street, and get some special ed help. Oh, wow. It took a lot of work with Albany to change that dynamic. And finally, it was in the early 90s that they said that... Um, the child has a right to be in the least restrictive environment to get his or her services. So they allowed a lot of the special ed to come into the yeshivas. It was like a big change. Wow, wow. But, and I, I lived through that, actually. Uh, same thing with nursing services, which the yeshivas have, uh, speech, OT, PT, a lot of things we mentioned before. A lot of that is paid for by state funding. Um, if the yeshivas had to bear that burden as well, things would really go up. Um, this, this, this idea, though, that you mentioned where two-thirds of someone's Meister money should be allocated towards the community, mm-hmm. it, it always comes up, right? Because, you know, on WhatsApp statuses, you see um, links to people's fundraisers for yeshivas out mm-hmm. of town, and you try to support and this and that, but... At least it gives people a general knowledge that, hey, if I have $1,000 each month to allocate towards Meister, you know, maybe six, 700 of it should be allocated towards um, funds in my community. Right. Things that, that make a difference for my family. Right. All right. That's how I seem to understand right. what Rav Shechta said at the time. Beautiful. Okay. So, and, and in terms of building funds, right, every mm-hmm. school has some sort of building fund. Is that just a nice way of saying, hey, tuition's really higher, but... We have to, uh, you know, put put a new line item, or is there, uh, is there another building to come? Like schools are always building out. There's yeah. another class. There's another wing. Um, well, and- the building fund, um, you know, might have some tax advantage right. attached to it. Is that why they do it? Well, the buildings do cost money. Sure. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, there's no, it's it's it's. These these are very very expensive um, uh, ticket items. Um, I would assume if someone just can't afford it, then they would sit with that tuition committee and say, you know, not right now, maybe in the future. By the way, there are yeshivas. I mentioned the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of one yeshiva uh, in Brooklyn, 
if the family comes and says, we could only afford $500 a month right now, okay? That's what we can afford. So they don't make the parents crazy. Would you sign a document that later on, when income increases, and you don't have this tuition uh, every month, that you'll pay back to the yeshiva some of the money? And if you work with the family, and there's a certain amount of relationship, which I was trying to say before, transparency. We're in this together. Mm -hmm. We're here to give the best type of education for your child. If you can't do it right now, would you help us in the future? And uh, a lot of parents would say yes. And it establishes a certain trust. Sure. So when that family, 10 years later, is doing much better financially, they're secure. Their mortgage might be paid off. I don't know. They go back to the yeshiva and they say, you know, you help me. When I needed it, here's the money now. Beautiful. So there's, there's different ways of uh, uh, establishing the relationship. And I just want to reiterate, if there are those in the yeshiva and the school system that would like to uh, jump on a Zoom or, or join the podcast, we invite you to reach out. We, we want to hear from multiple sides here, and, and I'm sure there are, there are items and focuses here that we're not hitting home and they're listening in their car driving to Lakewood or, or wherever, and they're like, no, you're missing the, the main point here. Um, so, so what would you say as, as closing remarks here? Like what, 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 what is important for parents and, and teachers and Rebbeim and principals and you know, maybe even students that are in their late teen years listening to this podcast? How, how should they be viewing tuition as a whole, um, right? The reason we created this podcast is because we want to start dialogue around important topics that pertain to a, a, a from Jew. And when we were creating some sort of curriculum for mm -hmm. this podcast, you know, tuition kept coming up, right? It's, it's a big focus here. So what sort of closing remarks and any questions I didn't ask pertaining to tuition, and I'm sure we're going to do another episode, but what, what would you want to leave people with? So, you know, the value of Chinuch... Uh, it goes back centuries. Okay, we need a system to make sure the kids are mechanech at an early age. Um, in yesterday's Daf Yomi, it speaks about uh, the inuyim on Yom Kippur, and one of them is wearing shoes. Another one is eating and drinking. So the Gemara quotes a source that. Um, the only one you have to be makbid on, really care about for a child, is wearing not to wear shoes on Yom Kippur. Kids allowed to eat the other things, okay, but shoes. And there's a certain chinuch value built in that you can wear the sneakers. It's like I'm, I'm training you for when you get older that this is really a value. Uh, the podcast that I heard on the for the. Uh, for the uh, Dafyomi yesterday, for Rabbi Razna. Okay. So uh, he speaks about, he was quoting a Mishnah Brura, that a family has to be mechanich a child from a young age, Lashon Hara, Sheker, MS, certain like core values. And our yeshivas are a place that could reinforce that for a family. Because he says, the Mishnah Brura talks about us at the end of Hilcha Shabbos, that if you let a child grow up with hearing nivel peh or talking Lashon Hara or too much Sheker as opposed to Emes, then that becomes ingrained. And I really think the message should be if we start the kids off when they're four or five years old and we really have good chinuch, transparent chinuch, and you can show a parent from a school how this is going to change your child for the future. It's really going to be something that's a tremendous value to you as a parent. And ultimately, this is your, this is your generation. This is what you're giving over. You know, many of us had children because we thought, let's have our kids do better than we do, hmm. okay? So if we're going to deny them certain experiences, like a Torah education, we're really hurting them. Um, tuition is a value. Uh, working closely with the school having the schools work a little bit more with each other, uh, to maybe to get a communal message that we need help from the community to um, how we can lower the costs, how we can help families. 
you know, there's, there's, uh, there's some very large foundations in North America that potentially could be helping. We've tapped into a certain foundation to help with these tuition subsidies for schools out of town. But potentially, you know, maybe even in the inner city, which, you know, where we're living, uh, some of the foundations could be more helpful. Um, it's fascinating because when I was living in L.A., we had a fund from the Jim Joseph Foundation. We, sh- we should get Los Angeles to sponsor this podcast. Yeah. I think it's got like but 12 shout-outs. Jim, well, this is, that was my last job as a, as a, as no, a head no, of school. No, no, it's all good. Jim Joseph was willing to subsidize tuition for all the school, all the high schools in Los Angeles, okay, for middle-income families who were taking the biggest hit. Somebody was earning below a certain amount, uh-huh. they have to be helped. Someone was earning above a certain amount, as we said before, they should be helping others. Right. So they defined, this goes back more than 10 years ago, middle income in Los Angeles was one hundred and fifty to $300,000. That was middle income. And according to their calculations, they were willing to subsidize 40% of a parent's tuition if they were middle income. Now, that was one effort. There were five Jewish high schools in Los Angeles then that were getting this subsidy. Made a big difference to these parents. Huge difference. can imagine. Made a big difference to the yeshivas because the money, you know, you got every month a check came in and it was covering a nice percentage of the, of the uh, budget. Um, if we can work with some of these foundations on a national level, uh, I think we could be doing a lot better and taking the burden off of the families. If we also inculcate the value in the families, as our Shechta said, that you have a responsibility. If you can't pay it now, maybe in the future, right. where things get better. Uh, but don't deny the chinuch. There's so many kids being homeschooled. There's so many kids going to public schools. There's so many Jewish children in private schools that are non-sectarian that we're really not helping Klal Yisrael with this. All right, we have to do better to attract more kids. Show them the value. Don't make it a tremendous burden financially. Uh, bring them in closer. Because if, if we don't do it when the child's five years old, right. we're going to have to rely heavily on NCSY when they're 16 to have a program. Or we're going to have to rely on the gap year in Eretz Yisrael to bring them back through Eshat Torah, one of these, you know, sure. uh, some other wonderful yeshiva. Do it when they're five. Make them part of Kal Yisrael. And... I think if we work together and we have some strategies through the OU and some other good organizations, um, we'll raise the whole idea of careers in Chinuch. We'll raise the idea that this is a really important value for Klal Yisrael. And Ezra Hashem, you know, we'll have a much better uh, future, I think, if we can, if we can grapple with this uh, together. Splendid, splendid. This week's podcast is sponsored by Los Angeles. Uh, check them out. <laughs> They're great. They're going places. Uh, right. Rabbi Glass, uh, would you would you be willing to come back on if, if there was, we can do maybe a, gr- a roundtable discussion? I think we... roundtable would be very nice. First, yeah. I wanted to thank you for your efforts for helping Klal Yisrael. It's wonderful. Yeah. Finances are a big deal. Sure. Okay. And whatever you could do as a company, as an individual, yeah. uh, to help young people, because uh, there's another whole issue with too many singles out there mm-hmm. in the 30 range already. Mm-hmm. And part of it is financial, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, just help call yourself. Yeah, whatever okay. we can do to help. Yeah. Thank you, Rabbi Glass. Hatzlacha. And now it's time for the outro of the episode. Great episode. I know you have additional questions, things that you wanted me to ask. Don't worry. Send them to me. We're going to have more tuition episodes. We want to do an episode where we have a member from a school represent the school side. And we have a, some, a parent that will sort of be on the same panel, ask questions. We want to get to the heart and soul of this topic because we have to do better, as our Moshe Hauer says. So if you have any questions related to tuition, other, other questions, other topics, 914 222 5513. Hit us up on WhatsApp. That's the official Living Lachayim WhatsApp. Yaakov, is it still too early to discuss the other episodes, podcasts that you have working on? Still too early. 
I'm really excited about that. Info at livingsmarterjewish.org with all your questions. If you need financial help, they will hook you up with a mentor free of charge. A lot of good people. If you want to help people and you feel like you're in a position to help others and you want to volunteer your time, please introduce yourself to Zevi, info at livingsmarterjewish.org. We covered who this podcast is produced by. We covered who we're collaborating with. I'm Ellie Langer. That's Yaakov Langer. Until next week, keep your money kosher. This podcast has been hosted by my brother, Ellie Langer, produced by me, Yaakov Langer, and brought to you by Living L'Chaim. To check out other podcasts from Living L'Chaim, go to livinglechaim.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Check up Living L'Chaim on podcasts. And do your thing. Until next time, enjoy life. Living L'Chaim.